The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host, and this is a special edition of the... That's right, baby. We're back. We haven't been kicked off yet. I thought maybe we said some uh, enough offensive things last week where I wouldn't be back with you this week, Will, but we made it through. We made it here. And, and, and I, I've got a bag of uh, buildos for you, uh, for tonight's, <laughs> you know, for, for, you know, talking about, you know, the conversation and everything else that we have going on. Well, this show will, if you're listening, this is, uh, Wednesday, October 14th. You can also check out in the feed a recap of the Bills and Titans game in Tennessee, uh, the first ever or the second ever, excuse me, Tumpf game. You can't actually say TNF. You say TNF, you will be electrocuted by Joe Buck. So it's Tumpf. <laughs> can, can I ask you this? All right. Because I don't want me to sidetrack the conversation. I know we don't have a ton of time, but Tuesday night football, I don't think it's such a bad idea. Like I actually think the NFL needs to explore looking at having football on nights other than just Thursday and Monday night. Obviously Sunday is going to be NFL too. You know, stay away from Friday, stay away from Saturday. Let's get rid of Thursday and add Tuesday. No, 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 no. Hear me out. Use Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And here's why. A, you've got flexibility due to COVID. Like this is your chance to experiment with it. Why not? B, there has been a shift in how consumers absorb the content they're viewing. Everything's almost on demand now. You look at all the different digital platforms, Netflix, Hulu, anything else you want to talk about, even cable subscribers. Yes, all access. A lot. A lot of it's, yeah, it's a lot of it's on demand. And so for that reason, I don't think you're running into this conflict anymore where you're like, oh, people are going to rather watch this show or that show. People aren't tuning in when that show is airing, if it's airing on a 7 p.m., 8 p.m. time slot anymore. They're going to go back and watch on demand when their time sees fit. So why not then say, all right, let's put this team in prime time? Because, A, you're going to find viewership there, regardless of what night it is during the week. And the other thing is, it's good for your brand. It's good for the players. Like, imagine people in the West Coast who, you know, didn't have a chance to see, you know, Josh Allen at all this year in Buffalo, right? It's usually going to be regional games. They're not going to get national platforms unless it's Thursday night, Monday night, Sunday night, right? You know, putting it on other nights of the week, it gives them those opportunities to build in those brands of the league, the face of the league. It gives more opportunity for betting, more opportunity for exposure with fantasy. Like, I know people are worried about the pig getting too fat, and that being an issue, but this isn't baseball or basketball or hockey where you're playing 82 games in those cases or 160 plus games, you know, and you have to worry about fatigue. Like, I think the only fatigue would be if you went to 17, 18 games, you know, then maybe you worry about, you know, how often it's being played. But I just think when you look at the shift of how people are consuming what they're watching now, if you live events crush it. NFL crushes it. It's the only thing that is. And I know ratings a little bit down this year, but that's because you have all this other, you know, these other sports scattered. I actually think this is a great opportunity for the NFL to experiment with having games 
maybe move to Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, and obviously still have Thursday due to COVID and see what the ratings look like and see how it goes. And by the way, this also then solves that problem of, well, now we've got teams having to play on a short week. That's not great for player safety. All right. Well, then we have a team that plays on a Thursday night and maybe the following week they play on a Wednesday night. So it's not quite as much of a short week. Look, as a former player, you don't have off days during the NFL season. That's just the reality of it. You might have an off day, but you're working your tail off no matter what day it is to prepare, to recover, uh, or, or work on something fundamentally. And that's the same for any player, any coach. So I just think this is an opportunity the NFL should really start to look at moving forward. I like it. I love it. Uh, look, I was looking at, um, I want some more of it. Uh, I was looking at the, uh, the drafting setup for Tuesday night. And this is the last night, obviously. I mean, they have a contest and we were recording this at three 30 on Tuesday afternoon. The kick, the game kicks off at seven. So three and a half hours to go before the contest. $10, $10 per entry, max 150 entries per person. 176,000 is the cap for number of people that can enter. There are already, uh, 87,000 people who have joined. So $870,000 in this pot already. It's a uh, 1.5, 300k to first. DraftKings takes a huge cut off the top. And as we know, DraftKings business, good for the NFL as well, as we've talked about. And so I think, yeah, I mean, look, like people are going to like people, like people are going to play these standalone fantasy options on, on the games where there are there all, all these standalone games. Yeah. And think about it this from this perspective. One last thing. This is similar to me as like real estate. So you've got Tuesday and Wednesday, Wednesday nights that are sitting there and they're kind of being like unoccupied, right? Like you're looking at that land saying, you know, people don't know if that's value or not, but if you put the right thing there, people are going to go. It's going to become an attraction. It's going to be a, a, an actual destination, right? And this is where I look at like, for example, the meat packing district in New York. At one point in time, people were like, you can't put nice restaurants and bars or clubs and lounges and things like that there. No way. And then all of a sudden it became a really, really popular area for bars and restaurants and clubs and so forth. Like you wouldn't have thought that though, 20 years before it actually came to fruition. I think that's maybe what we're looking at too at the NFL with the way I think broadcast television and cable television and digital has changed everything and really for consumers, how what their consumption habits are. So I really think this is something that needs to be looked at and maybe toyed with or experimented with moving forward. All right. Um, cool. I like it. Let's do it. Sorry, Debo was hitting me up about a sound issue. Do I sound funky to you? No, you sound great. You sound great. Better cool. than ever. Oh, that's good to hear. Thanks, Brady. All right, let's talk about some of the bigger issues. This is basically Debo went and pulled uh, for the rundown, my sorting this in a pile column that I wrote on Monday. And one of the primary things, and we talked about this on the uh, the Pick 6 show. So uh, on CBS Sports HQ every day, basically at 4 p.m. on CBS Sports HQ, make sure you tune in. Brady is featured uh, many times th- throughout the course of the week. And Dak Prescott. I feel like we, I feel like you and I have talked about it, but I guess we haven't for this podcast. That's what shook me here. Um, first of all, I mean, I think it's obvious that the Cowboys are in trouble without Dak Prescott, but it's good that they have Andy Dalton there. I'm curious about your thoughts on uh, maybe the, the Cowboys there and, and how they'll they'll function first, and then also Dak's sort of recovery back from this injury. Yeah, so in regards to the Cowboys, what they do moving forward, they've got Dalton. They're lucky they have Dalton. He's an experienced guy. He's taken you know, the Bengals to the playoffs before. Uh, and obviously, you look, he, he looked good you know, and poised coming in and helping them get a win versus the Giants. Uh, so I think they've got that working for them. You know, I said this to you on the Pick 6 podcast. I, I believe this offensive line has gotten better uh, as they've started to mesh and gel together this year. 
I think they're going to rely more on the run game, you know, and, and, and in part because you've got a backup quarterback that maybe isn't quite as capable as he once was or as Dak Prescott has showcased this year. Uh, but Zeke's one of your best player, if not your best player on offense. So continue to lean on him and then ask for Andy Dalton to have to make throws when called upon. This might actually be what's best for them moving forward to win football games, but also for their defense. That's seeing a lot of plays, uh, you know, seeing a lot of snaps out there. It obviously hasn't been good this season. So maybe shorting the game or rely on the run game not only helps out, you know, their chances of winning a game, but helps out their defense. Um, and, and obviously their offensive line too, where again, you've gotten some guys who are banged up or missing the rest of the season. Uh, so this, this should help protect that group in regards to Dak. Um, I, I think he's going to be fine. He's going to be able to re- recover from an orthopedic that I talked to. He said, look, for, for an elite athlete, it's probably going to be six months, including rehab at the earliest when we're going to be seeing him again. So this season is done. You're talking about him maybe being able to get back into the fold and things at the end of the off season, you know, maybe OTAs and mini camp, you know, in 2021, depending on where we are with that with COVID. Um, so the real question becomes, where is he at that point in time? You know, that's obviously going past what would be the other deadline for the Cowboys to make a decision on whether or not he's franchise tag for a second year or if they're going to let him go into free agency. I don't see him going into free agency. I think the Cowboys obviously would have to slap the tag on him the second time, even with him recovering from this injury, unless Andy Dalton leads this team to a Super Bowl, which seems somewhat unlikely. So let's then look at what that's going to look like, right? He's playing the second year under the tag. He'll make, what, $37 million, roughly like that, 120% of what he made this past year. Um, and, and then he's got that third-year tag that would be astronomical. That would be, what, like $50 million or whatever it is? So if you're looking at the framework of how they go about retaining him, keeping him there, he's either playing another year under the tag, uh, which, look, it was his decision to turn down this most recent offer. So then it comes down to, has his perspective changed because of the injury? Is he now looking at it saying, well, you know, I, you know, I wanted a four-year deal before. I still want a four-year deal, uh, but maybe I'm willing to do five just for a little bit more security because of this injury. Because remember, this Franchise tag this year is fully guaranteed. So he still gets that 31 million. Yeah. So the frame, so, the, so this really sets up still with the framework of his long-term extension being, you know, two years under the, you know, the, the next two years under the tag, which is going to be roughly about 90 million. So he should be looking at north of 100 million, 120 million guaranteed at signing. And, you know, an average annual salary is somewhere in the ballpark between 37 to 40 million. Um, you know, so I, I don't know that much has changed in regards to what he's looking for and what he's probably going to get paid from the Dallas Cowboys even with sustaining this injury. So here's what I sort of wonder and how this might happen. I think you probably disagree, but I, I think what's going to happen is they're going to get the Cowboys are going to be thinking, okay, we're sort of in a, the, like, this is actually worse than Dak winning MVP. And like, 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 because now before you had Dak who you knew what he wanted, you knew you can, you're probably going to have to pay him for more than $40 million. He goes out and wins MVP and takes you to the playoffs or plays really well, sets the passing record, whatever it is. Like his price has gone up, but not, I mean, not like an insane amount. Like he's not going to 50 million. Now the problem is that you don't know, you know, there's the uncertainty of, of his recovery and you have to feel good about it, but you're going to have to make this decision sometime in February about whether or not to franchise tag him. And that's early in the process. So if you drop that franchise tag him when he's not ready, you know, are you, you think about rescinding the franchise tag? I don't think you can let him get the free agency because th- there are going to be teams out there. Whether um, you know, yeah. Well, okay, real quick, real quick. If Kirk Cousins got ninety million fully guaranteed, right? Roughly, I think it was eighty-seven for his three-year deal. How much is Dak going to get? I mean, Dak would get 
If he signed a four-year deal, he'd get $160 million, fully guaranteed minimum, right? Well, I mean, we'd see, we'd have to see how solvent that, that franchise is based on the rule, right? Like how much money they'd have to have, you know, actually have, uh, as far as the cash on hand to be able to handle that. But That'd I mean, be the first question. He would basically but, yeah. get whatever he wanted. Well, he, he, I'll put it this way. He will surpass what Cousins got, right? So we, we can, we can at least say he's going to be over the, he's going to be the nine figure fully guaranteed mark if he so chooses to sign a deal like that, right? Not every player has, chosen to go shorter and fully guaranteed like Cousins did. Uh, he didn't even choose to do that the second time around when they restructured. So we don't know that he's going to do that, but I'm with you. Like they're going to be put in the, you know, predicament of saying we hope he's going to be healthy. We hope he's going to be the same player, but we don't necessarily know that. But again, I don't think that makes the amount that he's going to be paid come down by any means, because if you look at where the pace and track record that he was on, he was probably equivalently, statistically speaking, to what Russell Wilson's doing this year. He had surpassed Deshaun Watson as well as Patrick Mahomes statistically. And those are both the guys that most recently signed their deals. So, you know, economics tells you that he's going to be signing somewhere around that 40 million average annual salary contract. And it's really going to come down to a, are the Dallas Cowboys still willing to make that offer and commitment given the injury? And B, is Dak going to accept it if it's a four or five year deal? Uh, given that he wasn't wanting to accept a five-year deal before. My, you know, intuition or, or what I was told, I should say, by some of the people who were in the know of that negotiation was it was all about the additional year yeah. that, you know, he didn't want to sign that, which, again, I, I told you this, it's silly considering they were going to rip that deal up anyway if he plays the way he's capable of and sign him to a new deal before it was done, whether it was a four- or five-year deal. So I, I think he still finds himself a year later in the same situation. And whether it's a four- or five-year deal, dude, take it because – you're still going to find yourself looking to re-up at a relatively young age, at least in, in this day and age of the NFL. All right, so what if the Cowboys come out in January? Let's say they, they you know, limit it, their season's over, and they can, renego- they can negotiate with them again because they have a window where they can negotiate with them right. before they have to apply the franchise tag. And they say, listen, Dak, we will give you four years, $37 million. For- we have no idea what your situation is. Do you, one, do you think the Cowboys will try something like that? Because I do. And two, do, what, what do you think Dak's response will be? Uh, I think his response would be no. Uh, I think he'd play. Like, no, or like F you no? No, I don't think he'd say F you no. I just think he'd say, look, like that's not even equivalent to what we were asking for last year. So just because the injury, I, I was the only thing keeping this team competitive. Like you're going to offer me less now? Like this is a minor setback, but it's not like I was the most fleet of foot you know, before he's athletic, he can run, but he's clearly been playing from the pocket the past two years. That's where all his damage has been done. So, um, and he's continued to improve as a passer. So I just, I think he'd politely say no. You know, you know where we sit. And if you want me to go to free agency, so be it. Uh, if you don't, you can put the franchise tag on me. I'll gladly accept another guaranteed, fully guaranteed, what, 37, 38 million? What is it? 120%. So roughly 37 million. Uh, this year. And then, you know, the, the third year under the franchise tag would mean. So I, I think he, he has to say no. He has to accept the, accept the tag because that, you know, it, it continues the window of negotiating, but it also puts in the framework of what the first two years of his deal should look like, right? It's that second and third year under the tag. And then whatever else from then that you're projecting with the cap, which again, we should take into account the reason why the, the Cowboys might be okay doing this is because that 2021 cap may plateau. Like, we don't know what that number is going to look like. Uh, we have an idea that, that his 
percentage uh, under the, you know, as far as how much money is allocated to him under the cap is going to be much greater next year if that cap doesn't jump by a, a big number. But we do know three, four, five years down the road, that number is going to skyrocket you know, as the TV rights deal is done, as we look at gambling becoming more prevalent within the NFL. Uh, Steven Jones also said on 105.3 The Fan, he's our future. He's special. If anyone can overcome anything, it would be Dak. This is something that doctors feel good about, feel good that he'll overcome and come back better than ever. So once again, the Cowboys, of course, committing long-term to Dak Prescott without actually paying him, which is just something they really like to do for a long time now. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, will Matt Ryan be on the Falcons next year? We'll tell you yes or no. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. That was sort of a terrible tease. But that's okay. Uh, Matt Ryan, so the Falcons fired Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov. Were you surprised by it at all? No, um, I think with the way this team has been on the decline since, you know, their trip to the Super Bowl, since leading basically New England 28 to 3, uh, seeing every year how they just continue to get worse and worse and worse. And then seeing them not be able to replicate the six and eight finish that they showed last year to start this year. Uh, you, you kind of knew it was, you know, the end was near. Uh, I, I think the surprising thing is maybe that Thomas Dimitrov went along with Dan Quinn only because you know, he's, I mean, this is a talented roster, but I think that's the hard part is, um, you know, it looks like it is, but these guys haven't developed. And some of these guys, uh, like Deion Jones, for example, who signed a second deal, you know, they haven't necessarily played up to that standard. And so I, I think they decided to clean house because most likely whatever head coach would come in, he'd probably want his own general manager that he feels comfortable working with. So it, it makes sense from that standpoint. I think the thing that was surprising to me was when Arthur Blank you know, their owner comes out and doesn't necessarily give a vote of confidence to Matt Ryan. I mean, he, he's a guy that is a, has had a lot of success within your organization, but you've paid a ton of money. And I would imagine that with all the amount of money that he's been paid, like Arthur Blank has been instrumental in all those decisions in deciding whether or not to sign him to these big deals. So uh, it, it's interesting only because of how much they're on the hook for next year. Like, I, I don't know outside of a trade, and then you've got to hope that that team has enough cap space or could restructure the contract to absorb the cap hit, uh, that the Falcons can go anywhere but Matt Ryan at quarterback next year. I was really surprised, too, at first. Now, I will say this. Looking at the numbers, it is feasible if you did a post-June 1 release, you have to designate a post-June 1 release, you would save $17.5 million in the cap. <laughs> Giggling about that. Um, how much of a cap? It, is it like $50 million next year? No, no, but if you do a post-June 1 release, you can spread it over multiple you years. You spread it over two years, not multiple. Okay. It's only two years. Two, two is multiple. Two is not, two is not singular. Oh, I'm, okay, you can spread it over two years. If that's it's a huge cap hit. And especially in a year yeah. where 
You don't have a ton of cap to allocate necessarily, not knowing what the cap's going to do. Cutting Matt Ryan is not a feasible solution for the Atlanta Falcons. I, that's why it's so weird that he would say it. Why would he come out and say that's up to that's up to the player and that's up to the the new coach? I guess. I guess for I this guess. reason, because even if they drafted a top quarterback, it's an Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes scenario where he goes in and plays, and then you get that guy some grooming. I mean, your head coach might want that. Your head coach might come in and say, hey, look, Matt Ryan's not the problem. I would love to have a guy who can always be in the Pro Bowl conversation every year at quarterback to start off things. You know, Matt Ryan does everything right. It's not like he's a bad leader or he's an issue in that locker room. Like, Matt Ryan's not the problem. He hasn't played well this year. He's maybe been part of the problem, but he's not the problem right now. So I think for that reason, that's why. And you're kind of handcuffed. So I think you get through next year probably with Matt Ryan. But then looking at 2022, that, that's where things get interesting depending on how things go, who comes in as the head coach, and then what they do in the draft. And look, even a trade, if you trade him before June 1st, which, you know, is when trades have to happen in the NFL. Like you're not right. trading this guy in July. And I don't think you can designate a trade post June one, can you? I think you just have to actually trade him after June first. Yeah. Um, a, a pre June one trade. This is via uh, Spotrack dot com would have a dead cap hit of forty four point four million dollars, and would cost you uh, would negative three point five uh, in in terms of cap savings. You, you can't cut him before June first. You no, you're, you're not. You're not cutting him in either scenario, right? Like. Right. He's either on the team or he's being traded. And so I think you threw this out. Why does it make any sense that he would say that? Why would he say that? I, I, look, him being noncommittal, I, I think, is fine. I mean, look, there's a lot of things going on right now. You know, he's got to start figuring out how he's going to go search for a head coach and general manager. Which one is he going to prioritize, right? Is he going to prioritize the general manager or the head coach? I've always been an advocate of prioritizing the head coach because ultimately your product on the field is what's most important. And so if your head coach – and your general manager aren't aligned, and you've got a general manager who's giving players that don't fit within the scheme or model of what that coach wants to do or character or personality of what he wants to do, it's a disaster. So, you know, I always feel it's it's best suited to go that direction. And I think you look at the models where it's kind of like that, right? Like Bill Belichick in New England, ultimately the buck stops with him, but he's got Nick Casario, you know, Pat, uh, Pete Carroll and, and John Schneider in Seattle. That's another example of that. So I personally feel like, or Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean, right? Like Bean was brought in afterwards. So I always feel like that usually works best. Um, but uh, you know, again, we'll see what he wants, what decision he wants to make. I just look, I think it's hard for these owners, you know, to, to realize that, you know, they've got to move on from some, some people that helped them get to a Super Bowl. They were obviously really close and it didn't work out. Like it's not easy for them to say goodbye to this group. I don't think. I, I think that's probably accurate. I think that Arthur Blank believes that he can turn the Falcons into the Steelers, like the Steelers South or whatever it is. And he wants to do that. And right. look, commend him for, commend him for not being Jimmy Haslam and firing everybody every three seconds. Like that's, that's good. You need continuity. And Dan Quinn's a good guy and a good coach. And Thomas Dimitrov has made a lot of smart moves. I do think Dimitrov probably outsmarted himself a few times in recent years, trading back into the first round in, uh, whatever year it was Nashville when I blew my face open on a scooter. When he traded it back in to get Caleb McGarry, um, it, it like, and they got Chris Lindstrom and Caleb McGarry. And it was like, well, this will fix everything. It's like, well, you have problems on defense too. And then, so this year they don't get to, I mean, I just, I'm not. To your point though, I feel like he had to give those edge rushers like the Vic Beasley's and the Tack McKinley. He had to give them a year because his name or reputation's on it. 
I, I didn't see anything wrong with Lindstrom and McGarry. I just think the way that offseason worked out for both those guys, both missing time and like not being ready, that's what ended up reflecting poorly. I, I think that was an issue. I think the Devontae Freeman contract was one that he probably regrets. Uh, extending Deion Jones, who again hasn't turned out to be the player they had hoped. I think those are some of the things, but you know, he can only supply them with the talent. Like at some point too, you have to remember Dan Quinn was brought in there to take that defense and, and make them what the Legion of Boom was during Simon Seattle. It never turned into that. So as much as, you know, people can point out some of the, the mishaps of Thomas Dimitrov, there was the same for Dan Quinn. And, you know, that, that happens sometimes. I just, I think for Arthur Blank, like the two years they went seven and nine in a row. Like it's hard not to look within your division and go, well, the Saints were here at one point. They were three and they were seven and nine, three years in a row. You know, one and, big draft. And, 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 and then all of a sudden they took off after that and became a team that like has just been really unlucky trying to get to a Super Bowl. But, you know, they fought through that and, and they believed in that group. And so it, it's, it's hard not to think that Arthur Blank didn't have to just look at New Orleans and go, well, maybe we're a close too if we can just stay healthy and put some of this stuff together. I think he also looked at, I mean, look, they looked terrible on Sunday against the Panthers. Awful. I mean, just so yeah. lethargic. And I think he looked across the field at like Matt Rule injecting a total rebuild situation with some life and the defense is flying around. He's like, Oh my God, like I gotta, like, I, I like, like we shouldn't be losing to this team. This is supposed to be a rebuild team. Right, 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 That's right. not us. Like, by the way, Joe Brady, Oh my gosh. Like, you know, he's going to be uh, that next hot young head coach candidate. Like, People are going to start talking about his 30 year old head coach, right? I'm I mean, telling yeah. you right now. If how old was McVay when he was hired? 31, 32? Yeah, yeah, 30? Yeah. I mean, Joe Brady's going to be the next guy given his experience in New Orleans, what that looked like. You know, and he wasn't the full time play caller at LSU, mind you. He was third down red zone, which they were great while he was there, which it's obviously playing out to be a lot different this year under Scott Linehan, but you know, Joe Burrow's not there either and much to everyone else. Um, but I mean, so far they've been competitive. Like, Dude, Joe Brady's the thing to keep an eye on for like that next head coaching vacancy. Especially if, I mean, again, like Arthur Blank watched the, like he's like watching Teddy Bridgewater outplay Matt Ryan. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's like, listen, you have Calvin, you have Calvin Ridley, who you have all these weapons and it's like Teddy Bridgewater is outplaying Matt Ryan. Like you invest in, so maybe he's like, screw it. I'm going to get Joe Brady. Maybe. I mean, look, it's not like he's not familiar with him, right? He, Probably saw him when LSU, you know, had watched following the SEC. He knew about him probably just from their divisional, you know, being a divisional opponent. What's that? The title game in Atlanta might have been. Yeah, I think so. I mean, so I'm I'm sure he's well aware of what Joe Brady bought to LSU last year, just being an SEC country. Yeah, no, I meant like they played the yeah title game in Atlanta. So I think like he, I mean, his in his stadium, yeah, the Megatron B hole game. Uh, Okay, real quickly on the Browns. The, uh, man, the Browns are good, Brady. Four and one for the first time since 1994. You were but a twinkle. It's 10 years old. You were 10 years old. Yeah. I was, uh, 13. Is that right? That's I thought, I, I thought baseball was going to be the route. You know, I think I was playing in some, some, some little league world series, uh, in, in Tennessee where we got the, the floor mopped with us. I'll never I probably, forget I my dad. I was 13. I probably thought I'd be a professional athlete too. <laughs> well, no, I mean, we, we had won some, uh, like little college world series thing. I don't know if it was Kaba or whatever the, uh, the, the baseball league was, but we went down then for like this big national tournament, uh, somewhere in Tennessee. I don't know if it was in Chattanooga or somewhere, but I, I just remember it was like a double elimination deal 
and we got double eliminated. Like it, and it wasn't close. And I'll never forget. I actually had uh, that year. I couldn't pitch. I was a pitcher catcher. Couldn't pitch out of growth plate. I threw so much as a nine year old. I had a growth plate like moved out of my arm. So I was just like our, our DH. I played first base and I always had to like, like if it was ever like a double play ball, could never do it because I couldn't throw. So I just run out and get the out at first and I just fake throwing the whole time. And cause no one knew that like I, I couldn't throw with my arms. So I was just like a really good hitter at that age waiting so for my like, arm to heal. They're like, they're like, this, this guy can't throw to second base. Yeah. Like they had no, they, they didn't know. Like no one knew the scouting report, but we ended up getting absolutely crushed in this world series tournament. And I'll never forget. You know, my, my dad was like the type that chopper, he was the type that would write like good sports, like they won the sportsmanship award. Like he would take it and like shaving cream and put it on people's cars just to mess with us. And then like the other parents are just how pathetic our performance was. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, thanks for coming out. Like, like meanwhile, the parents are thinking like other people are doing it. And it was really my dad the whole time. Chopper Quinn's doing this? What a he thought it was he thought it was like the funniest thing in the world. Just just yeah. how bad we got shellacked no for those two games. That's the kind of parent you need to get the not just the genetics, but like the like the like the like the, the, the parenting of like the mentality to be a professional oh, athlete. He was the he best. Did. Like yeah. he would he would all yeah, thanks for coming out, kids. Like he always had the best perspective. And he was like, we had we, our coaches, our 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 coaches, uh they would get kicked out. Like, like they would get kicked out of mind. I'm not going to say who, but one of our coaches was, uh, the commissioner of the AAA baseball. Um, so to think about that for a second, like these are like big time, like, like good coaches. They would get ejected all the time from umpires when I was young. And so my dad would have to come in and coach and he would have like kids stealing. I don't even think we were allowed to steal then. He'd be like pulling pitchers after they walk one batter. Like, like he had this deep bullpen where we got like three kids who could pitch and like one you can't left. Even throw. I mean, what are we doing here? Yeah. Oh, uh, so anyway, so anyway, the, the Browns. Oh, right. <laughs> the Cleveland Browns are good. Uh, how good are the Browns? I don't know yet because I think the only really good team we've seen them play so far this year was, you know, the Baltimore Ravens. And they're a different team than what they were week one. I think they were different because of the circumstances in the game, too, where you were down that much, you, you couldn't run the football the way you wanted to. So now they've gotten to a point where I think they, they know what their identity is. And I think the other thing that stands out to me is their culture. If you look at what they were under Hugh Jackson to then when he got fired and Greg Williams took over as the interim head coach, and they were kind of successful that year, right? Uh, it was that Baker's rookie year. And then you look at last year when they're like, all right, well, we want Freddie to you know stay here to keep the continuity of the offense. So let's just then make him head coach. They They never really build a culture. They never really were able to get away from what Hugh was trying to do. And then Greg Williams kind of did during his time there. And then Freddie Kitchens. And then now you see like this culture that's being created. And I say culture because they're committed to something. They have an identity now. Like offensively, they're like, no, no, we're going to keep running the football. Like Nick Chubb's hurt. It doesn't matter. Cream Hunt's then part of it. Now it's Jarvis Johnson too. We're going to incorporate some reverses to some of our playmakers and, and some shot plays or gadget plays and put Baker Mayfield in a position to win. And we're going to do that every single week. That's our identity. That's a commitment to, to to what you are and really your culture. And we haven't seen that in a long time. You know, it's been this revolving door, as you alluded to earlier with Jimmy Haslam. And I think they found the guy now who, you know, if he's going to be stubborn with it, who cares? But at least for the moment has said, this is what gives us the best chance to win. This is what gives our quarterback the best chance to be successful. 
and and he's convinced those players, whether it's Odell Beckham or Jarvis Landry, whoever else, uh, they're the stars in that team. That winning is gonna what is is gonna be what makes them happy. You know, winning is what's gonna make you feel better about yourself and your social media following or everything else that comes along with it off the field. And this is the formula to win. And so if you want your life to feel better, you know, we're going to put together the best formula to win each week. It might not be the best statistically for you, but we're going to have a chance of playing in the postseason. And that's going to be what you know, puts a smile on everyone's face. Browns are winning. It's a wild, wild world. 2020 is so screwed up. The Browns are winning. Derek Carr is throwing downfield. Pete Prisco is right about everything. Welcome to hell. you got to stop giving Pete so much credit. Do you remember the combine? Pete's the one that said Justin Herbert doesn't have fire in the belly. You don't remember that? What? No, what? He, we he talked, remember fire in the belly? Like Herbert's his guy. No, he liked his tools, but he talked about not having enough fire in the belly and, and being maybe a little bit introverted. Like I, he talked about that with him. He talked about that with Tua. Like remember the whole fire in the belly? Like that was a little catchphrase yeah. all combine. And that's where it came from. He will never admit that, but that's where it came from. Pete, Pete is the flip flopper where you kind of forget what anyone said nowadays because yeah. the new cycle churns so much. And now he just acts like he's on everyone's bandwagon. He, he makes fun of me for picking Cleveland to go 10 and 6 last year. I picked him to go 9 and 7 be a playoff team this year. But you never hear him talk about that. He'll, he only says, well, he was on the Browns this year with Stefanski. Like, he'll start making those predictions, but because everyone forgets how he was so hard on this franchise earlier this year. Pete is the flip flopper. That's what we call him on a text thread. I know you're on a text thread with him. We call him the flip flopper on a different text thread. So you need to fire at him. Case in point. Did he not flip flop from our picks? Okay. Our picks every Wednesday, last Wednesday, he had the 49ers and look, we didn't have a line at that point in time in the game, but he gave a score prediction. And then later on the week, he was like, Oh, I took Miami with the points. I was like, well, that was a convenient fact after the fact. That wasn't what you said on Wednesday when we made our picks. That's Pete Prisco 2020 flip-flopper. If you want a flip-flopper, go with Pete Prisco. <laughs> and by the way, it is convenient that Pete only wears flip-flops around around the, around town. All right, Brady, I've never seen him not wearing flip-flops. The people on CBS Sports HQ are calling me. They're harassing me nonstop right now on Skype. So uh, I got to go. You got to go do stuff. You got a family. Talk to you soon, buddy. I'll see you. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.